Hey everybody, I'm Tim Whitaker, along with Rob McMichael and Jordan Renault. This is our podcast, Coffee, Theology, and Jesus. Our purpose for this podcast is to discuss this messy, difficult, and amazing thing we call the Christian faith. As Christians, we are encouraged and challenged constantly to see what the Bible teaches us about who Jesus was and how he lived and how we can better represent his message every day. Join us each episode as we explore how this relationship with Jesus affects everything from politics and religion to relationships and theology. Now that you know a little more about us, let's get into this week's episode. What is up, everyone? Happy 2021. I wish I can say it was happy. We're only at the second episode in and already we've had a major national tragedy with an insurrection attempt um, at the U.S. Capitol last Wednesday. For this episode, we did have a guest ready to go, but I ended up uh, postponing that. And uh, Jordan and I hopped on and decided to talk about what we saw on Wednesday and what the heck Jesus banners and Christian flags were doing there. So check out this episode. Hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, We were obviously praying for our country, but also I I believe we're at a point where real change in the church needs to happen based on what we saw. Check out this episode. Welcome, everyone, to the Coffee Theology (laughs) and Jesus podcast. I am your host, Tim Whitaker, (laughs) joined here with my co-host, Jordan Renault. That's right. And no Rob. Rob is not here tonight. Seriously. Actually, it it does remind him. It reminds me, Jordan, of the OG days, and it was just you and me. That's right. Because yeah. really, Rob is our in third wheel. Basement. In my basement. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Rob is our third wheel, in my opinion, when you really think about it. <laughs> I'm glad you feel that way. <laughs> and he was just slowing us down. Oh, man. But now you know he's gone. Tricycles are so much slower than motorcycles. <laughs> True. That's why I only ride <laughs> motorcycles. <laughs> well Uh, anyway just imagining you on a tricycle now yeah it's it's embarrassing happy 2021 everyone i wish i could say it was happy but at the way you know the way we kicked off this year we're already down in the dumps i mean let's just be honest (laughs) because now we're recording this on a monday this episode will go live on a wednesday which means a week ago an attempted i'm gonna call it insurrection happened um, on the U.S. Capitol. And, it was a successful insurrection. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. I guess to a degree, maybe it was. Um, what's your definition of success is, I guess. Yeah. So this happened, was that January 6th? So six days into yeah. 2021. Um, this happens. Um, we see a lot of Christian flags being swung. We see a lot of Christian rhetoric and, of course, a lot of white, white nationalist rhetoric. Um, and honestly, the whole day I was glued to my computer for the whole day watching every news source I can find, including Twitter, because Twitter, there were reporters inside the Capitol uploading videos like in real time. So I'm just glued to my screen watching what's unfolding. And I'm thinking to myself, I cannot believe this is happening, that right now in our America, there are people storming a U.S. Capitol, trying to stop in uh, a legal election certification process. I mean, it was wild. It was absolutely wild. I know that there are a lot of different angles to come at it from, and that's what we have a whole world of media to do. So I don't, you know, there's no reason for us, Jordan, to to try and hit every single perspective. But obviously, considering that this podcast does have a faith 
foundation that intersects with culture. I think we do have to talk about some of the faith overtones, specifically Christian overtones that we saw being used, um, you know, to, Mm. I'm not going to say it was every single person, but definitely I'll put it this way. I don't think there are many atheists in the crowd. Does that make sense? Or (laughs) uh, I don't think that there are many Muslims in the crowd or Buddhists in the crowd. So I'll leave that there. Yeah. They would definitely not do anything violent. (laughs) So Buddhists. That's not what I said. I'm saying what happened on Wednesday. <laughs> I know. I'm just kidding. I will say that how you can tell the difference between me and you is that you spent all day glued to your screen and I literally watched the news for 30 seconds and saw them repeat the clip one time. It was like, nah, <laughs> I'm not watching any of this. Well, I was, I started, so here's what happened for me. I started on C-SPAN. So I was watching the count uh-huh. and then I watched the C-SPAN cameras cut away and the reporter goes on and she's, you can tell she's visibly shaken. And she goes, we just got word that people have stormed the U S Capitol and are inside and the buildings on lockdown. And then on the phone, they have one of the reporters who's inside one of the chambers as it's locked down, giving Hmm. a play by play of what's going on. And at that point, I'm just, I'm thinking to myself, we're, um, I'm watching history in the making. I mean, this, this day will go down in history as another nine 11 level of, 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 of American um, historicity. Is that even the right word? Historiography. Sure, we'll go with that one. That sounds <laughs> that's a better. real word. I don't think that's what it means, <laughs> but it is real. <laughs> so I real I, words. <laughs> Tim and Jordan. <laughs> so I was glued, and then of course I'm watching CNN, Fox News. I'm kind of switching between, and then I see a Jesus banner hung over the steps of the Capitol, and my heart yeah. totally sunk. It just was like. Oh my God, there's a Jesus banner. And then I see the cross being erected. And then I see the Christian flag inside the Senate. And I'm like, oh my goodness. I cannot believe I am watching this with my own two eyes. That there are people who are carrying Christian symbols while they are enacting a violent attempted overthrow of our election process. Yeah. So that's where I was. They were from your church too. (laughs) <laughs> now, I'm glad you're bringing some humor into this dark, dark conversation, Jordan. <laughs> Gotta keep it light somehow. You know. I mean, but that was that was my thing. Now, Jordan, I, I want to give you know you you know your shot here of like of like how what, what you saw, what you have seen, some of your perspectives, and then we can kind of get into it. Yeah. Well, like I said, I didn't. I don't know. I didn't like get into it super hard as it was happening, and I was well. I guess. I was coming home from work while I guess while it was starting. So I just saw something about it when I got home that it had like happened. Um, so I like kind of, I don't know, check back in throughout the day, but yeah, I guess it didn't, it didn't strike me as hard, like seeing that aspect of it, like the Christian things being waved around um, maybe because like you said before, kind of jokingly, but it's not super surprising that in that group of people, you would have a lot of people claiming to be Christians. Um, but for me, that's, I mean, that's kind of where I am is like, I almost, I see that more as a bunch of, you know, right-wing radicals that have a problem where they're all pretending to be Christians <laughs> rather than, the church has a problem where it's full of a bunch of right-wing radicals. Does that make sense? 
Yes. Yeah. So I don't know. That's kind of like the the position I have on it. And I think I said this to you the other day that it almost feels a lot like you can compare it in some ways to the way that Christians get blamed for the Crusades because, you know, that had Christian symbolism and support attached to it from certain Christian groups. And I think things like this are kind of the same where you see, you know, a radical group of people that are doing something and they're kind of claiming Christ as part of what they're doing, um, claiming to be Christians or part of the church. And I don't know, for me, when I see things like that, where I think you would agree that it's kind of like, this doesn't make sense because how do these things line up with each other? Um, yes. But my rationalization of that, I guess, in my own mind is to go, well, they clearly don't know anything about Jesus <laughs> or like what he actually stands for. And then my logical jump from there is, well, they probably don't know Jesus. <laughs> like they probably aren't really followers of him. They're probably joining, you know, when they became a Christian or, you know, started going to church or however, whatever they actually do in their lives that has caused them to claim this. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't think that's, I don't think that being a Christian to any of those people that we saw on TV storming the Capitol, Capitol means the same thing as what it means to you or I. Well, here's my problem with that is I understand what you're saying, but mm -hmm. listen, I'm not going to say I'm the most, you know, well-versed person on this, but I do spend a lot of time on social media channels, you know, watching the news. I'm reading a book right now by QAnon called The Great Awakening, written by QAnon supporters. And all of it is foundation, the foundation, one of the, one of the foundational tenets to it is faith in, a, in the Christian God. It just is. I mean, I'm not kidding you. I'm 50 pages in this QAnon book. There's more verses and there's more, more Bible verses in this book than there are in Joel Olstein books. I mean, there's Bible verses plastered all over this book of just boom, boom, boom. One lady who's telling her story of how she converted to become a, a QAnon supporter, well, she started by, because she used to have a prayer channel and would pray for people. And now she, what she does is she shares Q's newest, you know, conspiracy, and then they pray for people. So what I'm trying to say is that I, I know what you're saying, but I, what I'm trying to say is that I don't think maybe you realize how a lot of the average churchgoers are into some of this stuff. And I'm not going to give up names, but someone very close to me who I would definitely say is a legitimate Christian was at what happened on Wednesday. Now they weren't in the building, but they certainly went because they wanted to defend the country from a fraudulent election. And I, I think, I don't think we realize how, how wide this net is and how many people it's caught up in, in specifically the evangelical circles. I mean, mainland Protestant, I'm not really sure where people are, but at least in the world that I'm living in, a lot of conservative evangelicals have been caught up in what I call Trumpism. And I think it's important to recognize there's a difference between conservative politics and Trumpism. I mean, a, a, a big difference. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Conservative politics most certainly have a place, you know, for the Christian to, to have and to wrestle with, you know, economics, you know, there's a lot. Conservatism is not a bad thing in and of itself, but Trumpism is this new animal and people are really swept up in this idea that Trump is saving the nation, 
in that Biden stole the election. And what we saw um, on Wednesday was simply the fruit of years and years of years of, I think, two things. One, a president who has been lying through his teeth nonstop on Twitter and painting a false narrative. And two, a largely, I'll be generous, apathetic um, church that has at, at a minimum been neutral on the Trump thing and at worst been very complicit in making sure that that people support, not just vote, but support Trump. And I think that we're really reaping what we sow. I mean, I, you know, I got to be honest and I don't mean to go long-winded here, but when I was watching everything on Wednesday, I thought to myself, well, the silver lining is that we finally have direct black and white evidence of Trump talking to supporters and telling them to go march to the Capitol. And then right after they do that, they storm the Capitol. And then Trump gets on Twitter and does nothing to try and, and squash it, but instead inflames about by blaming Pence for not doing his, his duty. And I'm thinking, wow, this is actually great. Trump is so off the rails that now hopefully conservatives and liberals will finally say, you know what? Yes, guys, we agree. Trump needs to go. But instead, it was a very quick rush to we denounce the violence. Yeah, but Black Lives Matter stuff. I mean, hello. You know, it was a very quick, like, I'm not going to say full full court press of defense of Trump, but certainly a lot of passes were were let were let through right away. And that really bothers me. You know, it's like, guys, how are we not seeing what happened and how we have to address this? You know, we just have to. Yeah. I think there's like varying degrees of people and and their opinions about Trump and their opinions about the election and then heading towards the very extreme version of that, which is probably what we saw last week. Um, So I've always felt that like, I mean, I think there's different reasons that people have supported Trump all along and at different times. And there's different reasons that why Christians have or haven't supported him. Um, And there's been Christians that, yeah, they, they really do think that he's, doing something great and they're willing to overlook anything in his past and turn a blind eye to anything he does currently. Um, And that's obviously not good. I think there's a good number of evangelicals that support him as like a lesser of two evils kind of support. Um, And then moving into this whole like election thing, I think there are certainly, you know, good people who I don't know. I don't know where it's coming from because I agree to you, with you to a certain extent that it, it is kind of ridiculous to think, in reality, that there it was so wrong and far off and corrupt that Trump could have somehow won, um, and that all of his Supreme Court picks that ruled against him are suddenly now all corrupt, and that we have no faith right. in the law, and everything is just you know corrupt. It doesn't exactly. make any sense. Well, the, the the most convincing one I saw was as you probably saw this going around Facebook or something, but it was basically the list of like this person lied and this court lied and this lied and this lied, but somehow you're going to believe Trump after all of that. Like you're only believing him and you're believing all of these other elements are corrupt somehow. Yes. So I get it. Um, but I get that there's probably, there's people that probably feel really, uh, I don't know, because anytime there is like any bit of uh, question or doubt thrown into there, even if when you think about it logically, it seems kind of ridiculous. Like I said, when there, when you throw any sort of doubt or people feel like they lost under unfair circumstances, there's going to be this feeling of like, we got cheated 
out of this somehow. And I get that too, but I still feel like at this point, even people who feel kind of cheated by this whole thing and want to kind of lash out in this like, oh, it was kind of stolen feeling, like they're not all crazies, (laughs) you know, like just because somebody thinks that uh, the election was unfair somehow or... um, well, I, I mean, think you're still a long way from the people who are storming the Capitol building. I suppose that they're not crazy in the same way that a flat earther isn't necessarily crazy, even though they have crazy views. But I certainly wouldn't wouldn't trust some of their other judgments based on them believing yeah. the earth is flat. Does that make well, sense? Well, it's emotionally charged, too, is the point I'm trying to make. Like there's when you if you yeah, if you look at it completely logically, I think you come to the conclusion that you or I I'm com- are coming to about this. Um, cause we're such logical, you know, yes, yes, <laughs> so logical, <laughs> well-informed I'm, people. <laughs> I, I'm definitely not emotional at all, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, you can compare it to something like a flat earther, but it's like really what, what emotional investment do you have in that? Like, but there, I think in this, there is this emotional investment that kind of is a blinding element for a lot of people. Yes. And this is, but here's, here's my question. Who who did it? Trump. Trump is responsible for this whole election narrative from the from a, from maybe four months before the election to still today. He is arguing that the election yeah. was rigged, despite his own team not arguing that in court, despite the court shooting him down, despite um, insurrectionists raiding the Capitol. He will still not relent and say that 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 he lost fair and square. And this is why here's the thing, right? Every election, we all know this. When when you have over a hundred million people voting, of course you're gonna have some fraud. It happens every election. No one in no one, no far left or far right person who's sane is arguing that that there was no election fraud. The question is, was there so much fraud that it can overturn millions of votes? <laughs> right. And only in one direction. And of course the answer is no. And other politicians have, of course, of course, um, claimed fraud in the past, but no one has ever taken it to this level. I mean, yeah. the, 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 even Hillary, right? Hillary still conceded like the day after. Okay. <laughs> so there's a very big difference between, I don't think I, I I think it was unfair how how I lost, but I'm gonna concede and yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna whine about it. And yes, Hillary, it's really annoying, but that's so different than I'm not gonna concede. This is rigged, this is rigged, this is false, this is rigged, and then also intentionally agitating that that base and calling them patriots and telling them for years, along with talk radio, that their country's being stolen from them. I mean, what we saw on Wednesday, in my opinion, is simply the fruits of just years and years of the same rhetoric being pounded in people's heads. And so I think that we have to be honest about that. You know, th- th- this wasn't like out of nowhere, some Looney Tunes on a whim decided to march down the Capitol. This was well thought out and well planned. And it's been, this sentiment has been brewing for a long time, a long time. And yeah. it has found, and I don't want to speak too extreme. I want to be honest, but in my opinion, it has found a good amount of a safe haven in the evangelical church. It just has. Many pastors are, are at least empathetic to conservative views. Many pastors during Election Sunday preached open-air sermons about how you should vote one way. And so we have to own that and say, I guess what I'm trying to say, Jordan, is what would Trump have to do for people to say, well, guys, listen, politics aside, and I don't like Joe or Hillary, but politics aside— 
this is bad. Trump needs to go. I mean, at what point? A stinking insurrection happened on Wednesday and five people died, including a cop who was beat to death with a fire extinguisher. You know, at what point do we say, you know what, guys? We'll argue about the politics later, but let's all agree. Trump needs to go. And what's happening here is really bad. That's the question I'm trying to figure out because I agree, Jordan. I totally agree. The American people should have a, a variety of political views. We should have the right to vote for who we think is best. That includes conservative candidates. Of course, Trumpism is, is honestly, I read an article about this. It it is pre-fascism. Like you said, it's one person. You have to believe one person and ignore everything else. And people do. And it's, it's crazy how that happens. It's crazy. I mean, but yeah, to me that, that begs the question then, like, how do, you know, I mean, I don't know. I'm going to (laughs) use terms here that aren't perfect for what I'm thinking, but like, what how do real christ followers find themselves aligned with something like that and not you know have a problem with it like that's kind of where i'm at and it's like i don't know that they could (laughs) you know if they're being honest with themselves and people aren't perfect you know just following jesus doesn't mean you're always going to only do perfect things from then on out um but it's like, as an individual, you know, if, if you're following of Christ and his teachings is more important to you than anything else. And I think at least, you know, to some extent it has to be, to really be a Christian, you know, to be a real Christ follower, <laughs> however you want to say that, um, it has to be more important than other things. That's kind of the point. Um, and if it's not, are you really a Christ follower? Like, and I, that, that's where it's like, you can, I can make these statements about, you know, broad swaths of people, but it's really hard, obviously, when you get down to an individual level and I, I'm not going to make a judgment about an individual just because they've chosen to, you know, attend a rally or, you know, or they voted for Trump or whatever, um, or for a Democrat, for that matter. <laughs> but uh, but when you see like large groups of people or or churches that are like aligning themselves with things that are obviously not in line with Jesus's teachings, it makes you wonder. <laughs> you know, I have a, I have two thoughts about that actually. Yeah. Um. One, I think that part of this does, and you and I have done a lot of work on this. Um. I think a big part of this is that we presented to at least American culture, this idea that to be a Christian is to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you'll be saved. And that's it. Yeah. And so a lot of people have prayed a prayer. They've accepted Jesus into their hearts. They maybe go to church once a month, once every other week or every other month, they hear a sermon, (laughs) (laughs) they hear a sermon and they're Christian. Right. And that's it. Like I'm saved. You join the club. They have no Bible literacy. They have no desire to learn about their own faith. And for that can be for a lot of reasons. So I think that's one side of it. I I mean, I think that is one side. And honestly, most people would say, yeah, to be a Christian is you pray, you know, you ask, you, you, you repent, you say that you're sorry. And that is the core of the faith. And I would obviously say, yes, of course, you know, the foundation of the faith is repentance, but obviously if there's no house built upon that, I'm not sure if you ever built the house to begin with. 
I mean, even the word repentance, I think, is misunderstood because it's really not to say I'm sorry. It literally means to turn around and right. go the opposite way. Right. And I think that definition is lost a lot of times because it includes the the assumption within that word that you are now moving in a different direction. Yeah. Um, you know, you're not just stopping what you were doing or feeling sorry for what you were doing. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a whole, that's a whole other. Well, the other <laughs> thing I was going to say about but... this is that either way. So let's, let's play out this idea of let's assume for sake of our conversation, mm-hmm. the people we saw at the Capitol were not Christian. Okay. Okay. Let's do that. The way I then Already view it. <laughs> yeah, right. right. <laughs> do that. The way I then view this is that it's, in my view, someone stole our identity and Mm -hmm. committed a crime, right? It's like if someone took your name, Jordan Renault, robbed the bank, yeah, it wasn't you, but your name was tarnished, right? And so when I'm, and I'm sure you're seeing the same thing, you see these banners, whatever, and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. let's assume it wasn't Christian, uh, Christians who did it. They're still taking a sacred name. One that Mm -hmm. is what we would view as the name above all names, one that is a sacred name, and they've totally desecrated it and used it in a way that not only does culture look at and say, there's those Christians, so now we're tarnished, but on top of that, Jesus, it's so anti his kingdom. I mean, and Mm -hmm. you know this, it's almost, honestly, it's almost, actually, it is hilarious in in a sense of like, how stupid can you be? to hang Jesus 2020 over a capital as you're armed and killing people. Um, you must not know anything about the Bible. But yeah, I mean, either way, I think that we should be pretty furious that that we saw sacred Christian symbols and the name of Jesus being used during uh, you know an insurrection attempt uh, yeah. in our own nation. That's exactly how I feel. I mean, you that was the perfect description of it, I feel like, is that I feel like someone has stolen my identity and used it to do something terrible. Mm. Um, and not just for me personally, but like you said, for, you know, the name of Jesus that is being used for something that, you know, is opposite his teachings where it gets tricky. I think from that, you know, I stolen identity analogy is that those people doing it aren't, don't think that they're stealing someone's identity. They think that's who they are, you know, but they have obviously not, they obviously don't know what that really means. (laughs) So yes, my, my outrage is towards people and churches in quotation marks and groups of Christians that, you know, have promoted this kind of thing over Jesus and his kingdom. Um, And I think there are definitely elements of, you know, political idolatry that run through, the evangelical church as a whole in a systemic way. And I think that's Mm. something that needs to be addressed. I think that this sort of extremism, I wouldn't say is a systemic thing through the whole evangelical church. Mm. I think there are elements of it and there are groups that, you know, are either more fundamentalist or however it falls along, you know, these other definitions, I'm not sure, but. um, Well, I'll put it this way. I think it's safe for me to at least say at a minimum that maybe while the average lay evangelical isn't radicalized, a lot of their media sources are. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like for example, there's this guy, his name is um, pastor. I think it's John Locke. Is that his name? Hold on. I'm looking it up. 
Um, I found him a couple, maybe years ago. Oh, yeah, Pastor Locke is his name. Uh, Greg Locke, Greg Locke. So this guy has 174,000 followers on his Twitter account. He um, is a... um, uh, he's like a uh, commentator or contributor to Turning Point USA, which is Charlie Kirk's you know, thing. He has a book called America 316. And that's not a joke. Okay. That's <laughs> the name of his book. He's a pastor. Mm-hmm. And his entire, his entire like message is that liberals are radicalizing us. Conservative values are Christian. We have to fight, including, of course, arguing for a, a fraudulent election, yada, yada, yada. So I say this because, listen, is every Christian listening to him? No. But statistically, and we know this, most Christians uh, are getting their news sources or are getting their media from, I would say, more far-right ideologies. And even if their pastor is preaching against it, the one hour they have or 45 minutes they have on a (laughs) Sunday, it's not going to compare to the 20 or 30 hours of content they're consuming on Instagram, on Facebook, on, you know, whatever, podcasts and so on. And so that's my concern, right? Is I'm just, I'm surprised to me, and this is just me. I have been following um, different accounts, you know, some of the more conservative evangelicals, some of the more well-known ones, waiting for someone to say, Hey, what we saw was like not Jesus, and we denounced it. Matt Chandler said something like right away. It was amazing, so good. Um, a, a prophet named Jeremiah Johnson, who's a huge Trumper, he repented for prophesying wrongly. I was like, you know what, Jeremiah, I I have so much respect for that. Um, and then Russell Moore had a great article that came out, and a couple other like like less popular pastors, of course, came out and said stuff. But as far as the big names, as of this recording, which is on a Monday, not a peep from John MacArthur. Not a peep from Bill Johnson. In fact, what he did was he deleted his Twitter because Trump got banned from Twitter and posted that on his Instagram saying, done, period, principles. Not a peep about the insurrection we saw on Wednesday. <laughs> uh, and by the way, Bill Johnson is on the record on a, t- on a talk show saying that the election fraud was as real as the nose on his face. And I was like, I mean, says the guy who got plastic surgery (laughs) and I've defended Bethel. Okay. You know that we did a segment on this show, but I was just jaw dropped, you know, Uh, Paula white, not a peep, Robert Morris, pastor of gateway church, one of the largest churches in America, also on Trump's evangelical board, not a peep about anything. And I'm just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. I'm listen. If, if, if an armed insurrection with our with our Lord's name on it and fueled by the guy that you're on his board of happened if, if that thing happened how much more will it take for you to say something that like hey we have a problem you know and again mm-hmm. I want to be clear I'm not arguing for not being conservative I'm saying your conservative theology is being overtaken by something much more radical and sinister you know yeah. <laughs> like like the the what is it the fox is in the henhouse and he's running rampant and no one's everyone's like yeah, we don't really see a huge problem like yeah, like, you know, he could be a problem. It's like, guys, he is a problem. Like, Wednesday showed you he is a problem. So it's just, it's very interesting to me to see this, like, silence or this deflection of Twitter. Like, oh, I'm worried about free speech. Like, the least of your problems as a pastor is your perceived threat of Twitter banning Trump. Like, that's right. the least of your problems right now. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, it it makes me wonder about some of these people for sure. Right. Like, you know, where are they at personally? But even that, it's kind of like with all of the, you know, mega church pastors and stuff that we've seen, like yeah. moral failings, you know, things coming out that make you wonder where they've been at, you know, this whole time. Right. So you wonder, but it also makes me wonder like how much of what we call like the evangelical church in America exists within those mega churches. And I know they're big and they're huge and they have a lot of people in them. But if you picked out like your 10 biggest, you know, influential pastors in America, I'm curious how, what percentage of the church falls within their congregations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that kind of thing. And like, because I know there's also thousands of, you know, not quite as big churches <laughs> that oh. are I'm sure all over the place too. And some of them, not great and other ones way better um totally but i think uh, what i was thinking while you were talking was when it comes back to sort of an individual level and what you were saying about like media and stuff and the influences that evangelical christians have in their life i think what came to mind was the word discipleship and it's almost sad that that's what i thought of when you're talking about like right-wing media um, because the, my question is like, where are you being discipled? Like, what are you being discipled right. by? Is right. it by, you know, right-wing talk show hosts? <laughs> you know, are you being discipled by Trump? Are you being discipled by, uh, you know, who, wh what is it? You know, what's pouring into your life? And that, I mean, when you think about it that way, I feel like it's a little bit more, it almost makes more sense, you know, for someone who, I don't know. I, again, I don't, I can't judge an individual, but if I, you know, as someone who really is trying, you know, or really is trying to be a disciple of Jesus, but somewhere along the way has had all these other things come in and just become this much bigger influence yep. than Jesus yep. <laughs> and the Bible yep. Yep. and has moved away from good other, you know, human influences in their lives but that's where it's hard it's to hard it's hard to know who's good and who's not <laughs> you know? yeah i mean you it's, know, it's who you listen to <laughs> listen all this is tough because you have you only have one perspective yours right and you're trying to judge yeah. like what the temperature is in general and it's hard to do that because even the label evangelical Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so we had this discussion. It's it yeah. can be anything. I mean, you can stick evangelical on 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 a can of tomato soup, and you know, people are going to call it evangelical. <laughs> like it's just such a. I'll vote for it. It's <laughs> it's such a catch all term, right? Um, yeah. And so it is hard to know. You know, I mean, I did a, a poll today actually on my um, new evangelicals Instagram page, and I just asked like, "Hey, did your pastor?" speak up about what happened on Wednesday. Not that this is any reflection of, of a, a larger issue because it's not a huge account, but you know, 61% said no, 39% said yes. And I thought that was like, okay, this is pretty, it's helpful to kind of get a thermometer of like where mm -hmm. we're at. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's just an interesting thing to me. I mean, I, I'm, I'm always back and forth in my mind. Part of me is I think righteously angry at what happened and that, you know, leaders aren't, really that outspoken about it. Not as much as I've seen people outspoken about other things, you know, sure. 
uh, be it Black Lives Matter or you know Twitter or free speech, whatever it could be. And that's kind of just that's that's well, it's not kind of it is very discouraging for me. But I also know that that there are a lot of people out there, including pastors, who are really sounding the alarm. And I'm glad to hear that. But I think as far as like the popular view goes, you know, we still have some work to do. So mm-hmm. it's challenging because I, I really believe that Wednesday. Wednesday could be the beginning. I mean, again, this is Monday. We're recording this, so I'm not sure what's going to happen on Wednesday. But people, I mean, I've read reports from, uh, you know, FBI that that there's 50 uh, protests planned in all 50 states at the Capitol armed. I've heard of uh, potential bomb threats being uh, coming out. I've I've also been following more extreme channels. Like I've I've been following stuff on Parler. There's a lot of calls to violence on Parler happening, which is why mm-hmm. Apple and Google said, listen, either you moderate some of this stuff or you're off. I am reading this book, you know, The Great Awakening, an invitation by QAnon. And honestly, so much of this rhetoric is really repeated out in the mainstream by a lot of people. And it's kind of scary because the more I read this and the more cuckoo this book really is, and let me mm-hmm. tell you, it is cuckoo. <laughs> there, but a lot of the same rhetoric of, you know, we have to save our nation. We have to become a good patriot. You know, Trump is saving the deep state. Like that comes from QAnon, you know, like um, – conspiracy high level conspiracy stuff so it's very interesting to see what's happening and i'm hoping that out of this out of the ashes for lack of a better term (laughs) there is a remnant in the evangelical community community that says no like we this jesus the jesus ethic we see in scripture is not matching up to the ethic we're seeing in our own tradition we have to reform it you know that that's all it comes down to for me we have to reform it yeah. And I think the church has a really good opportunity right now too to be, you know, this extreme stuff that we're seeing that's like once in a lifetime history making kind of stuff that it yes. feels like, like you said before, it's not coming out of nowhere. You know, it's been ramping up to this and the divisiveness in the country and, you know, partisanism and all of that has gotten to an all time high over the last, you know, more than the last four years, but it's mm-hmm. been predominantly the last four years. Right. Um, and this is kind of where it's leading. Um, but I think that the church having been, you know, largely on one side, so to speak, as at least conservative on the conservative side, <laughs> if not Trump specifically, um, has a really good opportunity to kind of, you know, stand in the middle a little bit and be a bridge and a, a unifying force in our country. Um, and I really hope and pray that that is what happens yes. more than doubling down on something. And yeah, there's going to be, there's going to be extreme elements that double down yep. and, um, you know, there's going to be, and I'm convinced that there's a lot of influential people at least that are speaking out within those extremist elements claiming to be Christians claiming to be part of the church that are absolutely not, you know, and like I said, I'll say it again. I don't want to speak for individuals, but I know that there are people within that there have to be, you know, like that can't be coming from a place of, you know, we're really humbly following Jesus. <laughs> right, and this is, right. and this is right. where uh, we know the uh, scripture so well. And this is our yeah. only conclusion. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. We are walking humbly before our God <laughs> right into the Capitol building. <laughs> Loving our neighbor. Well, you know, <laughs> yeah. darn commies. Yes. Yeah. Well, I did. I was on my, um, I was, I was talking, I was talking about this on my, uh, my Instagram page today. At the end of it, I wrote, 
essentially what I said was that love is radical and that we seek justice, but not revenge. And that ultimately the kingdom can welcome even the farthest prodigal, even the most delusional, violent white supremacists. And we know this is true because it welcomed us in, in our own mess and it offered healing in a better way. And that's, I think that, that, that is for me where the kingdom ethic is the rub for me personally, because I don't want to welcome white supremacists in. Right. But obviously the idea is that they're repentant, but you know that, but that is true though. Like, like what makes the Jesus, the Jesus ethic radical from the world's ethic is that we go beyond just the justice part. We go to reconciliation to a hope that, that someone like a QAnon Trump violent, supporter who was at the Capitol can repent and turn from that and, mm-hmm. and find a better way forward than violence and, you know, ignorance and racism pretty much. So that is of yeah. course the hope, but until at the same time, we're also called to, to be part of holding the church accountable and we're also in the church. So we're held accountable. So it's important for us to speak up and be able to realize that, Hey, it, it's very much in the Christian tradition to speak up when the church is going wayward. I mean, that is what Martin Luther did. And we, mm-hmm. we, are, we stand on his shoulders now because of what he did in the 1500s. You know, the Catholic right. church was not like, wow, Luther, like <laughs> you got some great points there. You know, that's not how it went down. So sometimes you're not really well liked in your, in your, in your present time as one of those mm-hmm. people, but you do it because you know that in the long run, Hopefully the church sees the error and can correct course. I mean, that is the goal. The yeah. goal is is correction. You don't want to burn. We're not here to burn stuff down. We're here to correct course and to make it better than what it was before. Yeah. And I think that goes for, I mean, you talk about like high level, like Martin Luther kind of people that I feel like are like almost, you know, iconic in church history of yeah. that they stood against something that they stood outside of society. But I think that, sometimes we think about those people as like these paragons or, you know, so far above us kind of thing when no, I mean, they weren't in their time, but also just on a daily basis, it's up to us to like stand outside of what is, you know, the culturally acceptable comfort zone. I was listening, I was watching um, Starbucks that I work for. Most people know that um, does every once in a while, they'll put out a video that they, call part of their third place series and it's kind of just like how it's about like our starbucks's culture and how they want to be inclusive and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. um so the one that they just released recently um that i watched today was a couple of clips of this guy um i don't know if you've ever heard of him his name is father greg boyle or oh boyle. i know that he name. runs that he runs uh homeboy industries yes yes yeah. i know who he is he's like he's yeah. the man yeah, it's like the largest like gang and uh you know like prison like inmate rehabilitation yes group in the country I think. Um so anyway, they had him like talking to a bunch of Starbucks people um about and he I mean he kept bringing up like bible verses and stuff. It was pretty cool like that I they then that. used this as their their thing. But what his his one point that he made was about you know, what he feels his organization is about where that overlaps kind of with what like Starbucks tries to do. Um, and I just thought it was a good um, way to say this is that he was talking about, you know, we all have this like circle of inclusion um, where we like bring people into. Um, but really what makes a bigger difference is when we kind of step out of that circle of inclusion ourselves mm-hmm. into like these margins and these marginal yes. areas and two marginalized people 
and we go there not to like fix people, but to let them change us in a way. Yes. Um, and, you know, really getting out there and, and going into that rather than just trying to bring everyone into our comfort zone. Yes. And I think that kind of comes back to what you're saying is like, it's kind of up to, um, you know, if the church wants to be a unifying force and wants to, you know, really follow into what Jesus um, is leading us, I think, and has always been leading us into, it's that churches need to step outside of their circles of influence and circles of comfort um, and get out into those places where those people are. That is right in the money. That goes along with what um, I, when we interviewed Peter from uh, Bethany Kids, mm-hmm. he mentioned that we have this like, we can inadvertently have this Jesus complex. We think we're going to help out the poor and be mm-hmm. Jesus to them, but they turn out to be Jesus to us. And then, they, and then we end up being so changed by that. You know, it's like yeah. by us serving them, like as if they are Jesus, that's what changes things. Not when we go there thinking that we are Jesus. And I'm like, yes, like that. I love how that, that is so well put. So yeah, I agree. Like- you know, I, I really do. Like it's so important that, that we offer a better way forward. And listen, there are times where of course you have to stand and be firm and mm-hmm. even have a little righteous anger inside of us. I think that's a good thing. And we should be angry seeing sacred Christian symbols and, and, you know, um, I even heard that, that, that there was Christian music playing during some of it, you know, while that we should be incensed by that, we should be outraged. We should be totally fuming that, 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 that people did that to us, that they stole our identity, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and also misrepresented our identity <laughs> to the world. Right. <laughs> it's like, ah, that's so like, all the work I've done. You just so <laughs> erased. So we should be angry about that. But the hope is that, is that, is that they come to repentance is that, is that they come to a deeper understanding of the faith um, and that they are able to turn from their wicked ways, right? And they're able to to embrace a kingdom ethic. So that's the hope. I mean, we'll, and we'll so, see. That's so hard when you when you think you're already in it. I know. You know, like that's where it's like, oh, yeah, that just makes a whole, that's a whole other layer of difficulty and like wall that you have to break through. Yep. And like, I've seen it even in just really innocent, innocuous ways. I mean, in my own life, um, you know, just growing up in the church and, you know, eventually coming to a place in my late teens, early twenties, where I realized that I didn't really know Jesus or who he was, or, you know, it was just part of this, you know, this thing that I grew up in and was a part of forever and was not ever anything personal for me. And, Mm. you know, that's such like a, I don't know, non-extreme version. (laughs) I wasn't like into any (laughs) extremist weird stuff. (laughs) Um, but you know, for, for people like this that are, it's almost like, I mean, it's, it's very cult-like in some ways where it's, you know, you're being fed information that only says one thing and, and you, you are part of the righteous group. Um, and you know, you are part of the Christian group. How do Christians minister and reach out to people who believe that they're already doing what they need to do is, uh, you know, uh, that they are Christians, that they are right. doing what the Bible says. Right. You know, and you're like, no, <laughs> right. I don't think you are. <laughs> right. No, I agree. That's the challenge and as well for ourselves, right? Like we should mm-hmm. always be not, not that we should be doubting our salvation, but we should definitely be questioning, right. are we living a consistent kingdom ethic? I mean, that's mm-hmm. the best way I can sum it up, right? Like we read the Sermon on the Mount. Are we living that faithfully? You know, like mm-hmm. are, are we, 
submitting to other people? Are we humbling ourselves? Are we, you know, quick to listen, slow to speak, yada, yada. And that's important for us because what is it? Uh, who was it? GK Chesterton, you know, in that article, what's wrong with the world? He writes back, dear sir, I am, you know, that idea of like, it, it, we, we do have to have a sense of personal responsibility as well as corporate, but also personal recognizing that we are part of the problem because we're fallen humans. You know, there's people I've offended. There's people I've hurt. There's people that I've caused to be angry. So I'm also part of that cycle um, as well. And that's important to recognize. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Well, listen, I mean, on that note, I think that that's a good place to end. Um, I'm sure we're going to be following this story closely and, who knows what's going to happen election? Um, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, there's, uh, inauguration there's more, day. More stuff coming. This was just yeah. the season premiere. <laughs> yeah, really. So we'll be keeping our eyes on it. But thanks, guys, for tuning into this. You know, kind of emergency episode here. We had I had a guest that we recorded. I was going to launch this week, but after what happened on Wednesday, I knew we had to come on and just talk about it. So thanks for tuning in. Of course, don't forget to rate and like this episode. Give it a share. That would be a huge help. And we'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks for checking out the Coffee Theology in Jesus podcast. You can always drop us a line on Facebook or through our email, podcast at coffeetheologyandjesus.com, as we love to hear from our listeners. Until next time, drink coffee, discuss theology, and love Jesus.